We live in the freest, most prosperous country in the world. The foundation of that freedom is enshrined in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. We are the heirs to this rich history and freedom and this Constitution that enshrines and protects those freedoms. Welcome to another episode of Fact Check. My name's Caitlin Riley. And I'm Bill Fian. And as you are out and about, whether you're walking the streets of downtown Lacrosse, maybe you're sitting in your office, I do have to ask, do you know what your rights are as an American citizen? Do you know what your basic fundamental rights are as they're described in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution? And Bill, this is a topic that you brought to my attention that quickly made me realize that I've forgotten a lot since my school civics courses. Right. Well, I think that's probably true of all of us. And boy, don't we wonder, you know, what are people being taught in their school civics courses today? It's the most important thing that we can know as American citizens. What are our rights? Where do they come from? And wow, you know, people paid an incredible price to earn their freedom and to pass these rights down to us, seems like the least we could do is actually know what they are. You and I were speaking earlier about the history behind where these rights come from. And it really all starts back in England. And of course, in the that old world was ruled by kings. Pretty much the law of the land was whatever the king said it was. And then in the year 1215, nobles and commoners rose up, fought a battle against King Henry of England, and won, and forced him to sign a document called Magna Carta, which was the English Constitution. For the first time in history, a king's powers were limited by the law of the land. We take a look to what happens hundreds of years later. The British colonies here in the U.S., these are English citizens. And yet, they feel that their natural rights, rights that are natural and come from God, are being violated by this tyrannical king. And out of that comes the United States Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and this idea that we are all endowed with certain inalienable rights by our Creator, and those include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and in the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which was a precursor to our Constitution, it says life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. So these are the most basic rights that we have as human beings. We have the right to the freedom of our person, and we also have the right to owning our property. And so that's why we have these laws that govern our rights, and they're fundamental to our pursuit of happiness. What's the importance of maintaining these laws that, in a way, when we look at the foundation of them, even looking back at the Declaration of Independence, I mean, that was almost two and a half centuries ago. We're living in the 2020s era now. So why is it so important that we not only understand our rights, but maintain the fact that people uphold those rights for us as everyday citizens? 
we're very fortunate in the freedom that we enjoy as United States citizens. It's easiest for us to forget that people don't enjoy these rights elsewhere. But wow, once we start to feel that these rights are being taken away from us, that's when we start to realize just how important this really is. And so we're going to start today with uh, the First Amendment to the Constitution. The first 10 amendments to the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights. These are the most fundamental rights that we have as people. Again, if you want to look into the history of it, you can look at the Virginia Declaration of Rights as a precursor to all this. It's fascinating. But the very first amendment to the Constitution, and I believe it's the first, because it is so important. And so we're going to read that right now. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Why was that important to them? Because England had a state church, the Church of England, and people were compelled to be members and pay tithes to the church. So these people, many of them came to the United States or to America before it was the United States because they wanted to have the right to exercise their own religion. So freedom of religion is one of the first rights as an American citizen. The amendment goes on to say, there shall not be an abridging of the freedom of the speech or of the press. And why is that important? Why is freedom of the press and freedom of speech so important? Well, we only have to look at the most recent presidential election and see that major news organizations refused to report on Hunter Biden's laptop and his business dealings in Ukraine and China. And so having that freedom and, and for having the population to be informed, without that information, people can't make an informed decision. And now there have been polls that have come out, I've seen two. One suggests that 17% of Democrats Another suggests that 37% of Democrats say that they would not have voted for Joe Biden had they known about these business dealings in Ukraine and China. So the right to freedom of the press so that we can have informed voters is fundamental. And it goes beyond that. And we see the censorship that took place from organizations like Twitter and Facebook where they wouldn't allow the Trump campaign or even here in La Crosse County, our Republican Party Facebook page was shut down. And when I say shut down, that means that we had 3,500 people that followed our page. Uh, we did a post after it was shut down about uh, early voting starting, and 57 people saw that post. They shut us down. And they pulled the ads that we were running for local candidates. So that was a direct interference in the election through censorship. And we just can't have that. People have to have the right and the opportunity to hear both sides of the political arguments. So freedom of speech and freedom of the press is foundational to our democracy. The amendment goes on to say, the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Well, as we look back at 2020, we see that the governor issued orders to stay at home and if not for the intervention of the Republican state legislature, those orders still might be in place, but the governor is governed by the law, and the state law says he has 60 days 
to issue these edicts. And then after that, it has to go through the legislature because he's not a king. He's a governor and he's governed by the laws of the people and their legislature. So what did we see? The mayor of La Crosse intervening and preventing the president of the United States from coming to campaign at Colgan Air at the La Crosse airport. He threatened them with eviction. He stated on WISM, they, they contested whether or not they had the right to hold that event, even though there's a long history of presidents coming to La Crosse and doing the exact same types of events. Is it the king or the mayor of La Crosse who decided that it was fine for Black Lives Matter to have a protest of 400 people in downtown La Crosse in July? The answer to these questions is no governor and no mayor has the right to stop people from peaceably assembling. That's in the First Amendment to the Constitution. It's one of our most basic freedoms. And the amendment goes on to conclude, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Well, isn't that what public assemblies are often about? We call them protests. People gathering together to make clear their displeasure with whatever might be happening in the government. Again, that's one of our most cherished freedoms. And, you know, we can look around the country and see that the governor of New York actually ordered the closing of churches and synagogues. Same thing happened in California. All of these things are clear violations of our most basic rights in the First Amendment. And there is one question that I see a lot of confusion on for people when we're looking, especially at the First Amendment rights, the public versus private property. And when those First Amendment rights can be enforced, I've heard people say, I went into this private business and I tried doing or saying X, Y, Z, and they told me to get out. That's my First Amendment right. Now, how does that change or vary when we're talking about someone saying that on public space versus someone saying that on a private space or in a private business, someone's private home? Wow, that's a really good question. And I think that um, there are a lot of different facets to that. One is that we have the right to exercise our rights on our, on our private property at, at any time, and, and nobody can regulate that. But if, if we're going to, let's say, hold a parade, then you know we have a uh, system in place, let's say in the city of La Crosse, where we have to actually apply for a permit to have that parade or whatever other type of uh, gathering we might have. Now, somebody might question that and say, well, why should we have to have a permit to march in the streets of, of La Crosse? Don't we have this right to assemble? And that's a pretty interesting constitutional question. I guess what we know is that precedent shows that we've adopted a system where we do allow for the permitting of those types of activities on public property. You know, another amendment that's come up quite a bit, not only in elections, but in conversation, probably even fights on social media, is a Second Amendment right. And this is something that I think has become a very partisan issue when we're looking at the beliefs among our different parties. Yeah, I would say that it's actually a defining difference between the Republican and Democrat parties. And when we talk about political maps being bright red in rural areas and bright blue in urban areas, and we say, well, why is that? Well, this is one of those issues that's really been pushing 
those parts of the outstate Wisconsin to become more red because we have a governor, Tony Evers, who's public, publicly stated on numerous occasions that he's in favor of mandatory gun buybacks. And so, you know, this goes right to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So, you know, the fact that the governor and other Democrats believe that they can outlaw a certain type of weapon uh, is really problematic to people in rural parts of the state. Uh, the idea that they would have to register those weapons is really controversial as well. But this also touches on the governor and Democrats' efforts to pass red flag laws. So every time we see that there's a tragic shooting someplace, we immediately start hearing from these people, well, we need to pass red flag laws. Well, what is a red flag law? Well, a red flag law is a hearing in front of a judge. The sheriff would usually be there, and the person who has the complaint, they feel that this person might pose a danger to themselves or to others because they own firearms. That just is not a legal process. And it's actually the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution, which ensures a speedy and public trial and an impartial jury and the right to face our accusers, the exact wording is, to be confronted with the witnesses against him. So to hold a hearing where we deprive people of their Second Amendment right when we don't even give them the opportunity to face their accuser or answer the charges, that's the constitutional problem with red flag laws. It's the reason that Republicans wouldn't take up those bills that the governor sent to them earlier this year. From a constitutional standpoint, we cannot have hearings where people aren't allowed to face their accusers. When we're talking about Second Amendment, you mentioned that the governor talked about buyback laws, things like that. And I have friends who say, why is there a need for certain guns? Why is there a need for the stereotypical gun that's incorporated in a lot of shootings? I've heard certain arguments on one side. I've heard arguments on another. But I'm curious, Bill, to hear your thoughts when someone approaches you and say, why is there a need for guns like ARs, things like that? What What is your response when people ask you that? That's a great question, and here, here's the answer. So the AR-15 rifle is a semi-automatic rifle. It's not any different than the .30-06 that people go hunting with. They're both semi-automatic weapons. Those weapons will fire as quickly as you can pull the trigger, and they have great ranges of, in some cases, more than a mile. From a functional standpoint, there is no difference between an AR-15 rifle and a 30 6 They're both semi-automatic rifles. Now, the AR-15 looks a little bit different, has a different stock. Um, you know, I've heard, heard people ask about magazine capacities. I mean, anybody that's fired a rifle can tell you that, you know, it takes a matter of seconds to put a new clip into a rifle. So, um, you know, that's another area where liberals have tried to limit ownership of these types of weapons. In the final analysis, the great majority of gun owners are law-abiding citizens, and there really isn't any justification for banning a certain type of rifle over another one. Ultimately, this comes down to the fact that people have the right to own those weapons for personal protection, for entertainment, or for hunting. And those rights 
need to be defended. And going through before we started our talk, you had mentioned to me also that the Fourth Amendment right really stood out to you as something that was important. And going back to when we first started this conversation, I probably gave you a blank look because it's easy to say, well, that's my First Amendment right, that's my Second Amendment right, but how many of us know what our Fourth Amendment right is and can recite that? Right. Well, how many times have we been pulled over and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, maybe a police officer starts going through our vehicle or asks us to open up the trunk and what are our rights in that situation and how should we respond? Well, the, the Fourth Amendment is the amendment that protects against unreasonable search and seizure. And again, you got to remember, going back to the Revolutionary War times, you know, the British soldiers just come busting into your home or your business and, you know, they start tearing things up to look for some kind of evidence that you're not a patriot. So these are people that pass these amendments based on their actual experience. And the Fourth Amendment says that the right of people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall be issued but upon probable cause, so supported by an oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be searched. So these restrictions on the power of government to search us and our property come from those bad experiences that they had during the Revolutionary War, and they're obviously still really valid today. The government just can't come busting into our homes and start searching for things without first going through probable cause, warrants, etc. I like how you tied in the real world scenario of getting pulled over because I think that's something where more of us have been pulled over than we would like to admit. How do you put that into a real world context? A police officer pulls you over and says, can you open the trunk? Can you do this? What do you say? What do you say in that situation? Well, I'm a huge proponent for law enforcement, but I'm just going to tell you that any good attorney is going to tell you that you're best off not cooperating. You're best off forcing them to actually follow the law. And if they want to search your vehicle to produce a warrant to do so. So you just don't go back and pop open the trunk and say, oh, I have nothing to hide because, you know, in the final analysis, they're there to find people guilty of some kind of an offense. That's their job. And so you really don't gain from cooperating. It's an important reason why you need to know your rights. And uh, they certainly do not have the right to search in your trunk. Now, a lot of this stuff is determined by precedents in law, and I'm not an attorney, but I do know that attorneys will, will definitely tell you that you're best not to don't give up information freely. Wait until you have an attorney to represent you. And skipping ahead a little bit to another that has very topical, or at least had topical relevance, was the 14th Amendment. Do you want to describe that for people? Well, the 14th Amendment is a really important amendment, and it was the basis of the 2000 Supreme Court case of Bush versus Gore that determined who was going to be president of the United States. And what was determined in that lawsuit was that different uh, parts of the state of Florida were using different procedures to recount ballots. 
that was ruled as being unconstitutional by the United States Supreme Court because you can't have different classes of voters and you can't have different procedures for counting those votes within the same state. For instance, here in Wisconsin, we allowed over 200,000 people to receive absentee ballots who never produced a voter ID. And yet, an additional 2.7 million people in the state voted, and they were all required to provide that form of identification before voting. That is an equal protection argument. It goes right to the idea that you can't have different standards for people to vote. The states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, did not follow a voting procedure that observed the Constitution in those states. Local election officials chose to ignore state law. So here in Wisconsin, some examples of that would be the Wisconsin Elections Commission instructing clerks that they could fill in missing information on absentee ballot letters. The state law is explicit. <laughs> if a ballot is received and it's missing information like a signature from a witness or an address for the witness, that ballot has to be discarded. But we didn't do that. Some people will say, well, in the recount, the vote totals didn't change. Well, the reason the vote totals didn't change was because the objections from Republican attorneys and poll watchers to those types of ballots were rejected by the Democrat-controlled election workers in Dane and Milwaukee counties, where they have majorities in those bodies. The fact that we didn't follow our own laws in the state of Wisconsin has become an equal protection argument for places like Texas that are saying, well, you didn't conduct a legal election. And of course, these are just some of the amendments that we've covered. And this is just looking at the surface level. And if people are interested in learning more, we will share some additional information in the online version of this podcast. But Bill, you know, someone who's worked very closely when it comes to examining these, the history of our rights, why is it so important, again, that we not only understand what they are to us, but also the enforcement of these rights in the United States? We live in the freest, most prosperous country in the world. And the foundation of that freedom is enshrined in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. It's the rights that we have as citizens that were won 250 years ago by people who gave up everything to fight against the major superpower in the world. Why did they do that? Why did farmers and merchants and all manner of average people, a ragtag army, go to Valley Forge and endure the freezing winters and the deaths and starvation? It's because these rights are so precious to people that they would be willing to endure those hardships in the pursuit of securing those freedoms. And we as American citizens, we are the heirs to this rich history and freedom and this constitution that enshrines and protects those freedoms. And it's up to us, every one of us, as Ronald Reagan said, every generation has to fight for freedom. So what are you going to do to fight for freedom? I urge you, go and read the Bill of Rights. Know your rights as a citizen. Thank you, Bill. And this is a closer look at your Bill of Rights here on Fact Check. I'm Caitlin Riley. And I'm Bill Fian. Thank you.